Space Life Podcast, episode 27. In this episode, Ellen Brennan and Lo Frat help me out with the interviewing as we sit down with Simon Vandelay, Aaron Schutz, and Brian, and we talk specifically about jumping in Baffin Island. Now, even if you're not considering going to Baffin Island and jumping in the cold weather, uh, there are some good tidbits for um, cold weather activities and things like that. So uh, definitely let us know what you think and enjoy it. And uh, thanks for listening. Three, two, one, see ya. You're listening to the Peace Life Podcast with your hosts, Randy and Brian. You ready to do this? Yeah. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Base Life Podcast. We're just going to take it around the room real quick. Um, On my left here, we have Aaron Schutz. Hey. Welcome back, E. Simon Vandelay, first time uh, participant. Good evening. Yeah. What's up? Oh, yeah. Hey, Ellen. Ellen Brennan. Hi. Off mic, we have Lo. And Brian. Oh, hi. Uh, So uh, we are here for. Uh, part two of the Baffin Island um, Expedition podcast series. And uh, today we are going to talk about jumping. We have three Baffin Island uh, alumni with us, Brian, Aaron, and Simon. And so we are going to talk about the jumping. Brian, you want to take it off? <laughs> okay. <laughs> there we go. Uh, yeah, so jumping in Baffin Island. I'm pretty sure that was one of the most uh, epic experiences of all of our lives that went up there. Uh, yeah, jumping. Definitely a lot to think about, um, but I would say that jumping for me personally was the easiest part of being up there in Baffin Island. And I don't know about you guys, but yeah, I, I had a lot of, um, how would you put it? A lot of other things going on at the same time. Like, I can't feel my hands. I can't feel my toes. I hope I can feel my pilot chute when I try to pull it. I can't see how far up off the ground I am. Um, lots of different factors, but uh, at the end of the day, those those jumps were unbelievable. But that's that was my experience, Aaron. Well, I think since Simon did more jumps than either of us, maybe we should let Simon go next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, I think going to Baffin Island needs to start with the right mindset. Like, when, when I decided to go to Baffin Island, as we had uh, a heli and also hiking possibilities, I was like, okay, I go to Baffin Island, I do a jump a day, and I'm fine. But then once you're there, it pretty quick change to something else, which is like, okay... Let's have a look. Like when I was arriving to camp, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, How long do I want to really stay here? So I talked to the organizer and asked him like, would it be possible to leave earlier? And he said, yeah, no problem. You know, like with the airline we are dealing, you can leave whenever you want to. Just let me know and we organize it. So I figured out for myself that the whole Baffin Island jumping thing is like the jumping is the cherry on the cake. Yeah. And the cake is quite big. but uh, So you need to eat the cake to get the cherry. 
So if you have a big cake and only small cherries, it changed pretty quick into like, I just jump whenever I can. And I need to go with the whole thing around weather, temperature, as Brian said, you know, it can get really cold, can get really windy. So at the end, it breaks down to you live in camp in the Arctic on Baffin Island. You try to not get cold, get enough food, try to sleep time by time. And if it happens, you do a jump. Mm. So that's actually the procedure at the end. And um, as Brian said, you have to deal with many other things like I'm getting cold, I'm getting tired. Um, visuals, you know, like how high I am. Like if you, if you fly out straight to the ocean, you are over snow and ice and you have no reference at all. Like we are used to see a street, a road, a car, a tree, humans. So you always have a reference. There is like, hmm, I see some snow white... And some structures, how big, then just pull, you know. Yep. First time when you start to ask yourself how high you are, you just pull, you know. Maybe you're like, oh, I'm high, or, oh, that was low. Mm. So, um, yeah, like on the first few jumps, you, you figure out, like, okay, I need to think about a few tricks, like about a few tricks how I can get comfortable in this jumping. So, uh yeah, by the time you have enough time to think about, like, let's say, if we talk about having cold fingers, uh, the first hike I did with a thin pair of merino wool gloves and then a kind of a ski touring glove, and I got cold fingers. Mm. So for the next hikes, I was wearing the two gloves with some down mittens over it with some hand warmers. Mm. So I got warm hands at the exit, and then you start to think about, okay, I want to keep these mittens as long as I can. So you start to gear up with these big mittens, the zippers, <laughs> and everything takes way more time. But you want to keep your hands warm. So you have to deal with it. And then once you're on the exit, you think, okay, I'm ready. Take off the mittens, stash them, close the zippers, and jump. Yep. That's it. Because what, what you really want to have is like warm fingers that you can feel what you are grabbing because you have two layers of gloves and stuff. So it's like it, it breaks it down to a total different setup, to a total different concept of jumping, you know. You need to think about so many more things, you know, mm. like the big boots, the gloves, then cover your face with a, with a buff and a balaclava and so on. So the whole jump takes way more time than usual. So, uh, yeah. And you got to stay warm while you're transitioning from hiking to getting ready to jump. I figured out also like that when we decided, okay, we go jumping, I was like looking around, okay, how is the sun? How warm is it? And then get a proper setup, which is like when you start to hike, you should be a bit chilly. You should be a bit cold because while you're hiking, you warm up. And then take a second, first layer with you because you're going to take breaks. Maybe you start to sweat. So whenever you take a break, change the first layer and then maybe keep a down jacket with you. So whenever you take a break, you can stay warm. So you start to sweat, you take a break, take off the first layer, change it with the dry first layer, put the down jacket on ahead, stay warm, eat Ugh. something, drink something. Once you start to feel a bit like I'm getting cold, okay, take the jacket off and start hiking again. So just it's the thing. The game is actually I need to stay warm. 
That's the most important thing. Because once you start to get cold, you just get colder. And that just makes everything that much more complicated. Because it just gets in your head. So Simon, maybe talk about um, some of the gear that you took on hikes. Because I think you went, you're much fitter. And I think your experience as an ice climber maybe set you up better than Brian and I who didn't do any hikes. So in terms of hiking, talking about like crampons, ice axe, poles, what did you need? What did you use? Shake ropes? How did you, did you clean exits? Um, as I've planned that maybe I'll be one of the first up there. So I took the radio to contact the other guys who maybe are behind me. Like we had one jump off the beak, which I was like, okay, first of all, we take a reference on the, on the ridge where are we going to go for? And I was like 20 minutes earlier up there than the others, and I found an exit. So as soon as I found an exit, I was radio them like, okay, guys, I have something to jump. So they were like, okay, we're fine. We have something to jump. And then um, the equipment, I haven't used any crampons out there, but I had like a proper mountaineering boot, like with a stiff sole, so you can kick in and do steps and stuff. And also I took hiking poles, which I had carbon hiking poles, which are not good for Baffin because mm-hmm. you actually walk on snow over huge rock boulder fields. And the second day, one of my carbon high-tech poles just broke. So I would say like next time I go to Baffin, I take like probably aluminum or maybe an extra pole, like an old one I have just to replace the one which going to break maybe in mm-hmm. the first week. And then like, yeah, I mean, we, we took some rope, like six millimeter uh, rope, just to wrap it around the rock to make some knots in it and to, to look over an exit. We also took the small broom to clean because it's actually really cold, so it doesn't get icy, mm-hmm. but there is some snow, and, and you want to clean that snow away. So, yeah, a, a bit of rope, uh, hiking poles, uh, like good boots, and like the, the, the triple layer gloves can can make a good effort like can can bring you to a good place like in a different zone. <laughs> and was there any point that you wanted an ice axe? Not really. No. no not I took the ice axe with me but no. No need. Uh, I mean the snow conditions at the beginning like we did one we did one hike where you need to actually be aware of the snow conditions because it was quite steep so you can actually even release an avalanche if you have bad luck so i was going in front and then at one point i could feel that when i kicked a step into the snow cover it just like it cracked oh and uh, you could see that there is air and tension between the next layer so i was like okay we really need to be careful so um yeah you you really need to analyze the situation where you are so you need to hike with an open mind to really realize the whole environment around you because if you're too much focused i want to jump i want to jump i want to jump you probably forget about like in what you are running in so firstly it's like the hike that's the first part and then when we find an exit the jump is the second part so you really need to think about where i am and, and the snow conditions and so on yeah Hey, can you talk about uh, the glove? I well, first, why is Simon's headphones the only ones that have sanitary covers on them? So I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> those were an experimental. Have pair. you seen his hair? <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying, Aaron? 
So I've got a ton of questions. Like uh, we ran a next level camp in Lowen and there was some snow on the ground and we said everyone should bring gloves and be prepared to jump with gloves. Can you talk a little bit about like, uh, I know you've been in the game for a long time, so maybe you don't forget some of your, um, your first steps into it, but like, can you talk about a little bit like how people should train for jumping in base with gloves on? I remember when I started to, to skydive, also base jumping, I was wearing gloves all the time. Uh, nowadays, I don't. But before I went to Baffin, I was like, okay, as you say, I need to get used to again. So I, uh, in Switzerland, it's quite easy to train. So I went like for a weekend to Hinterhoek with all my gear, you know, like uh, ropes and, and poles and everything and then the gloves and everything. So I did like a few jumps with the equipment I'm going to take to Baffin that I don't run into a surprise like on the first jump on Baffin, like, oh, I, I, I don't feel anything. Oh, what do I do now? Where do, where do I put these, you know, extra shit that I didn't think about? Yeah. 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 So I was like doing like six to six jumps, like with the whole Baffin equipment to figure out like, you know, drinking bladder, uh, ropes, poles, gloves, uh, down jacket. So... I didn't want it to go to Baffin to get surprised. Like when we were there, um, people let us know, like do some dry running uh, trials by gearing up, you know, because you want to gear up quick. You want to gear up really quick because if you stay still and you wait too long, you, you just start to freeze. And, uh, so yeah. you need to figure out your system, how quick you can gear up, get your stuff away and get your stuff in and out and jump. Did you feel like... Uh... Since you had that six mil rope, all the extra clothes, uh, the bladder, uh, just extra gear, did you feel like your center of mass and your center of gravity was off a little bit? Was it different? I know, uh, like I watched, um, for me, myself, like before jumping any of the high mountain peaks in the uh, Chamonix area, like I went down to Belvedere and did like a couple of dry runs as well, like uh, with all my kit, just to make sure that it's, it definitely changes the exit a little bit, huh? Like what was your experience with all that cold? Was it... Um, it, it didn't really change in terms of my flight performance, you know, that I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not going that fast or I'm not going with that much glide. What I think if you go to Baffin, you need to slow down at least one gear. Just like, okay, I'm not going these lines I usually go. It's just like one step below. Just like slow down. I mean, Baffin at itself, like the nature, everything is so powerful. So instead of going by in the sixth gear, like just going hardcore, all these lines and mm. bombing in, just take it easy. Just, yeah, you know, yeah. slow down. You can get as close as you want, but always like, no, I don't need to get that close. That's fine. I see Baffin Nice. And yeah. then you're fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I felt the same way, like with some of my big alpine approaches. And I know you've done some of the similar ones. Like you have these ideas of these big like lines that you want to run. And then by the time after a nine hour approach, you get there, you know, you got the ice axe, you got the rope, you got all your like mountain gear on. It's like, you're almost just like, okay, I just want to escape this, this mountain to get down. Yep. Uh, it changes the whole flight altogether, which is kind of cool. Cause like I saw some of your video and, uh, this is like some really aesthetic and beautiful lines that you flew. So, uh, cool. And I think one of the other really like things that was always in the back of my head was, if you sprain your ankle, oh, you're fucked. you are totally fucked. Like injuries are magnified, you know, exponentially because you're up there and there's just no help coming. 
Yeah, and if you femur, you oh. have Dr. Kalinkis grabbing for priapism. Priapism. <laughs> if you're lucky, he might come check it out. And but, sphincter tone. Don't forget sphincter tone. But because of the logistics, it, it's, it wasn't guaranteed that a doctor was going to get anywhere near you because you were so high up and the mountain is so massive standing on the on the on the ice looking up you couldn't see and so if somebody had some sort of issue if you're lucky somebody saw your canopy and if you're lucky still the helicopter would be able to find you but uh, i mean in reality yeah, personally, no. you guys can keep that shit. That's why I like my PGSM. I like my <laughs> ICU and NSC. Um. Yeah. <laughs> did Did anything happen uh, on the hikes or on the jumps that you weren't expecting? Um, I mean, Baffin Island is just a huge playground. So we had people, they went ice climbing. We had people taking like some hybrid wings, speed wings, paragliders and stuff. So what we did one day, um, there was a a person, one like one member of the expedition. He wanted to launch a paraglider of uh, Kigudi, which which is a nice idea, uh, which can be a bit chilly because you stay way longer in the air than uh, in free fall and oh. on the canopy. But he was like, okay, I'll I'll take two different wings, like a bigger and a smaller one, and I'm gonna launch one of these wings on top of Kigudi. <laughs> And then we hiked up Kiguri, and then on the last slope, the wind picked up. And then uh, one guy and myself, we decided to jump a closer exit. So we were out, which was nice. And then uh, the whole uh, action started, actually, which took them another three and a half hours to try to launch the paraglider, which at a point they were like, okay, it's not going to happen. We're going to jump down. We free fall it. And uh, you figure out how you get down off the mountain, you know. So that guy was in total about almost 11 to 12 hours on the mountain. Jesus so Christ. <laughs> how much point. skin did he lose? He didn't lose a lot of skin, but... A lot. Like, Meaning we were... He didn't lose a lot. We were back on the 10%. bottom. And then uh, we decided, okay, to wait for them. We radioed them. And they were like, yeah, half an hour, half an hour, half an hour. After 45 minutes, another half an hour, half an hour. And then we're like, okay, we go back to camp. So somebody drove us back to camp. We started to get some food, some drinks. And then at one point, one, uh, one guy, one member of the expedition, he came to me and he's like, hey, Simon, can you do me a favor? I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. What do you mean? Okay, uh, I need your help to get that guy down off the mountain. Oh, wow. So we, we got on the sled. I put my down one piece suit on like a stash bag like we got some hot drinks some pasta uh, hiking poles we we drove 20 minutes back to the bottom of Kigudi started to hike towards him get him on the radio and we could feel that he's a bit like delirious 50, 50 like don't out. don't come up it's 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 icy don't don't do any effort don't try to get me and then um once we got him we gave him food and he was like, you know, all my water is frozen. So he was a bit getting dehydrated. Mm-hmm. So it can, it can be in the green part for a long time, but then it switches very, very quick into orange red and then very deep red. So, yeah. Did you have radio communication with him like, the entire time or did someone have radio comms? Um, 
the thing is like in Baffin Island, it goes over and into gullies and valleys. So like as soon as you have visual contact, even if it's a dot somewhere on a ridge, you can have radio contact. But if you don't have visual contact, the radio is not really what so you the, want. What sort of contingency plans were there if uh, things went sideways? Before we get there, isn't like the ratio, uh, like the statistics, like one in ten at Bifin Island trips go in or? What, yeah, that's I, don't that, make put, don't let me put words no, no, in your no. mouth, but it's like uh, the, the statistics are pretty bad. And here's here's what's interesting: um, whether or not I even knew that fact before I went, I was well aware that that would be completely plausible as soon as I got off the airplane. As soon as I got off the airplane and walked out the door and was hit with that blast of air, I was like, "Game on!" Oh shit! Shit just got real. Yeah, like oh wow. And even in Iqaluit, we got off the plane in Iqaluit, like still wearing our clothes from Ottawa, and we we're like, "Oh, oh, we're fucked." <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, just got real. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I was um, chatting with uh, JD, the organizer, uh, John Davidson, like uh, a couple of days ago. And um, he, he's a really nice guy and he's a freestyler. And he was like, uh, you know, somehow I want to do it again because I want to do it proper. And I was like, JD, hold on. You did it proper. Nobody got fucked. You know, everybody yeah. got back home in one piece. And that bring it, brings it to the, to the basic thing. If, if there is 20, we were like 21, 21. 21 jumpers in total. Like we did like uh, Broad Peak with 20 jumpers we did like solar sun spy with 21 and nobody got really bad i mean nobody got injured so yep. i said to him like jd your expedition was successful yep was that a credit to him or was that credit to you guys All no, the above. i mean yeah. both like in, in in total he was the organizer so if let's say shit hit the fan he would feel in responsibility so i was telling him like you know you did well Everybody got Absolutely. safe back home. That's it. Thumbs up. So, Simon, you actually got to open a jump while you were in Baffin. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that jump? I'm still not sure if we opened it, but it could be. It was actually the possibility that we opened the jump is there because it's not a huge jump. So, like, I mean, right. I mean, if... you did it because it was convenient, right? Right behind camp. Exactly. I mean, for me, which was really nice as a Swiss citizen, our camp was standing in the Swiss Bay. So I felt a little bit more familiar, a bit more back home. And then there was like a nice cliff behind the camp. Like you could see, okay, if we try to hike up there, it's going to take us four to five hours. Simon speed. Yeah. Right. So that's like uh, five to six for the rest of us. And then seven or eight because they had to go find the exit point. It, It depends because I was like, pretty much going all the time in front so i used most of my energy by you know kicking Kicking. steps and stuff and then if you are like three guys behind you have pretty much a staircase so you can go in the same speed behind the guy who is leading so it was really funny like we went up there with ronald which is a very experienced jumper then with jack from australia which is also very experienced and we had a good wipe you know during the hike and then as 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 usual, we started to joke. Like uh, at one point, Ronald was like, "You know, I, the cliff is shrinking. Actually, as closer we get, as smaller it looks." And I'm like, "You know, Ronald, if it's not that big at the end, 
you're going to give me a PCA. I'm going to quickly open the container, put the slider down. And he was like, you're a funny man. What I do? Yeah, you go handheld, you know. So, but at the end, it was big enough, awesome view. Like, uh, How big? Um, How big? In total, about like 850 meter. Oh, and nice. then, like, we got something like eight seconds of rock drop. So uh, we tracked it, which was really nice because you, you track out on top of a glacier and you open and you land beside a glacier and then you hike back to camp. So, yeah. And the, and the funny thing is, like, um, we had that chopper, uh, which didn't turn out the way it was planned because you have to deal so much with nature and stuff and everything. So... Uh, we had also a very nice helicopter pilot, Kyle, but as he left earlier and the conditions were still good, we, if we opened it, you, we, have, we have the right to name it and we named it like fuck the pilot because we kept jumping after the pilot. Like, FTP. FTP. Fuck the pilot. Yeah. Hey, uh, this is the question everyone wants to know. Wingsuiting or tracking at Baffin? Um, you can do both. Both. Let's say both. It depends, like, uh, you need to get an idea of your line you want to fly. Uh, and there are, like, different exits. Like, if you, if you jump classic uh, Kigudi, you can go even slick. Just yeah. tumble down, do, like, a two-way head down, whatever. But let's say we did broad pick, which is more than a 2,000-meter go with a wingsuit. 2,000 meters? Yeah, it's oh, like wow. 2,000 plus. I had no idea. Yeah. That's a big jump. So we Sweet. did a three-way with JMO and and Brett of uh, Broad Peak, which was just like that footage looks amazing. One minute and a half flying, like it was just in a wings in wingsuits. Yeah, in wingsuits. I felt really bad that I didn't bring my wingsuit up to Broad Peak because I thought I would get another one. So I started with the Prodigy One. And you jumped a Prodigy One. I took my Prodigy One up you, there, and you, I was. You took the most difficult wearable wing that's ever made yep oh, right. and had a absolutely dog shit flight <laughs> so i i took my sausage and my c2 and my thinking was okay i have the sausage when i i'm now kind of in the winter jumping the sausage just because of snowy exits and things I'm, I'm more comfortable and and so my thinking was first time on an exit i'll jump the sausage have a look at what the exit looks like and then potentially come back up with the wingsuit but the problem was is that we didn't ever get a second go at any of yep. the exits with the heli and so I just I just tracked I brought the wingsuit all the way there and didn't why do you jump like it. why do you like to jump a tracking suit in the winter why do you feel more comfortable because your arms and legs are free yep slipping that's why I stopped wingsuiting in the winter yeah straight but up right but why you slipped before no I, I have enough dead friends the that fear have. of slipping oh, yeah, okay yeah, yeah there's yeah. definitely a lot of, on the BFL who have slipped yeah. Died wingsuiting in the winter. I mean, those don't always make the list either. If you guys haven't noticed, approaches, deaths approaches. on approach, yep. doesn't yeah. make the list. Like honorable mention. Mm-hmm. But yep. uh, so you guys, I think all th- three of you guys, and maybe Simon, just uh, from uh, the old school track in the winter more. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I put it away once the snow comes, and I just go back to tracking. And I'll tell you, uh, I my first jump was at Ottawa, and it's super sheer for a super long time. And then there's a talus that grows for a little bit, and then it's just ice. So unless you want to exit in a wingsuit, turn left, and fly along a wall, and 
still have to try and figure out where you're going to end up, turn back out, and then fly back. It's it, it's not a... Other than Broad Peak that had lots of really interesting lines off to the left, um, I went off with a tracksuit on, but I wore my down pants underneath it. And holy shit. Having some rigid, like, stiffness in between the tracksuit and my legs, I felt like... Help me track. Yeah, the track was amazing. So that was your first time jumping your full kit. Oh yeah. Okay. So like you didn't take the advice of the professionals. Nope. You just like not at all showed up fresh. So I borrowed gear um, from Dukes and Ben Ben and Bam, and when we got there, they talked about hey, it's probably a good idea before we start jumping operations that you actually gear up with the stuff you're going to jump with. And I said, okay, now that I realize how fucking cold it is, I don't want to take these down pants off. Like I'm going to get in the, I'm going to get in the heli with these pants on and I'm going to take them up. Okay. So let me just put this. And then when I put all this stuff on, I was like, Oh, that's way better because like I I could wear a down jacket, but with those down, like the legit down pants, like the bib overall type, it, one kept me warmer, and two, I think, helped my track. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because, like, um, I remember, and like, don't get me wrong, like, I think the coldest I've ever jumped in is, is like negative fifteen degrees Celsius. Uh, what, what temperature were you guys jumping in? Probably during the day when the sun was up, it was minus fifteen. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as as we are uh, late April, beginning of May. It's actually a good time of the year. It could be a bit later, but let's say the coldest nights, we were about minus 40 degrees Celsius. And then jumping was like between minus 12, 15, 18, not colder. But you know, like if you you hit the shadow though, right? You hit the shadow and that's a whole different story, right? Oh yeah. Aaron knows what's up. Shadow is totally different. Like if you have sun, no wind is nice. Like. That FTP, we opened quite late because we were getting in a bit late. And then I was like, okay, guys, um, I want to get off quite soon, geared up. And then I took a deep breath. And then the whole breath started to freeze. And I'm like, okay, I'm going, I'm going, I'm I'm done. Yeah. (laughs) You saw ice coming out of your tracksuit. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the... like you said, with the with the sun and blue skies and no wind, you were fine. I packed on 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 landing at Broad Peak because it was so beautiful out there, and it wasn't as bad. Every other time, cold, so cold. Yeah, where did you guys pack? <laughs> I mean, so first, I tried to pack on a packing mat off to the side of camp. And one, it's super slippy. And two, we had wind almost the entire trip. So we tried to build a snow wall to try and give us... Just for packing. Just somewhat of a windbreak. And it did fuck all. Yeah. I I, I think I even stressed Julie out a little bit because I was so frustrated. I was just like, fuck, fucking fuck, fuck. And uh, eventually, Simon uh, figured out the key which was open your tent, put your two cots off to the side, and boom, you have a wind-free packing area, and just run your lines outside the camp or outside the tent. 
and you know eventually when it's time to stow your lines just bring your shit in and that was the secret for me like that that worked staying safe from the wind yeah this sounds like every big mountain experience like while you're doing it it's like what the fuck am i doing and as soon as it's over it's like when can i go back are you guys feeling that are you Not you want to go back it took me a couple of weeks <laughs> I think you guys all have the sparkle in your eye looking at you. You're like, mm, I want to go back. Definitely Simon's like uh, scratching his chin right now. He's like plotting and scheming about his next trip back. No, I think, I mean, as I said at the beginning, um, being creative is key, you know, because you, you find yourself in different conditions, in different setups. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try to pack like uh, Brian behind that wall. And it was just. Dog of shit. shit. You know, it was like, no. And then we, we drove with the sled, with the Comatic, to a wind sheltered place. Um, I mean, we are all base jumpers, which was like a really, really crappy uh, pack job, and it opened just perfect. So I was like, okay, I'll start to pro pack. Uh, nice, but just pro pack, and then into the tent. And uh, when, when it's nice, no wind, sunny, you can, as soon as you land, because the, the snow is hard, just pack on the snow. But when it's windy, it's just it's just so awful. So I, I figured out that trick with the tent. So, Can I ask a quick question about the wind? Was it like predictable? Like, did you have the Vonda Meteo and then like the valley winds, or was it like something all <laughs> new and mixed? <next? laughs> we we had a weather forecast for Clyde River, which was which which can be sunny at Clyde River, and a snowstorm at camp. Okay. So or vice versa. Yeah. Well, and the, the pilot. Fir- the first jump that we did with the heli, we went up to to Ottawa and. There wasn't very much wind in camp, and we got up to the top of Ottawa, and it was, it was sunny and beautiful. beautiful. It wasn't very windy. I mean, I'm taking off layers. I have all of my gloves off, super happy on the exit. As soon as you jumped into that mountain shadow, whole different story. I mean, by the time I opened, my fingers were frozen sausages, and I was flying backwards. Yeah, I remember cutting your dead skin off your fingers. Thanks, so, Lou. Yeah. Yeah. You're a good friend. Was, uh, yeah, hmm. Yeah, so like legit, the wind was blowing so hard, we were landing backwards. And then as soon as you touched down, you went for a ski ride and got dragged across the ice as you were dragging your lines in till you got to your canopy so that you could ball it up and stop sliding. You know, I mean, I think you had the record, Aaron. How far do you think you slid down the ice? Or did, do you have catchers? No, no. Actually, Noah came out and got me. I just was dumb and didn't turn into the wind as fast as I should have. <laughs> I think, like, Fonzie had the record. Yeah, I think he it was, was Fonzie as well. was, like, really going. Going back to camp. Yeah. And, I mean, it was really funny. Like, we had some sleds on the bottom, and then uh, J-Mo raced me to, to pull my toggles to to not get carried. But then also, like, Noah one of the Inuits, he was so funny. Like, he just took out his rifle with the scope, <laughs> for sure, no ammunition. But he was scoping the jumpers, you know, with his with his rifle, okay? He's going that way, okay, I jump hey, on my... spotter. Yeah, yeah, I jump on my skidoo and then race and then get the guy, you know? Like, I mean, no, he was awesome. Punch some poles had, in your canopy for you real quick. Well, <laughs> he had no idea what to do, but he was super respectful. So so he got to me, and he just, he just kind of sat on the canopy. And he just was, like... he. Was watching, awesome and didn't know what else you. to do. And I was like, okay, frozen sausage fingers. Luckily, my stash bag was like just right in the front of my tracksuit. So I just like, Bleh. yeah. And then, Which, and then she made this noise. 
yeah, that's when they were unfreezing. That was really painful. Yeah. Can we get that one more time just to be sure we got it? Uh, Thanks, Brian. Just checking. Are you okay in there? Yeah. (laughs) No. Because I saw her when she walked up. Because I landed next to the Comatech. They were farther down and and came back after I stashed all my stuff. And I was like, hey, Aaron. And she had this look on her face like somebody had slapped her grandmother. Wait, just back the truck up for a second. You landed at the Kumite? Kumite. <laughs> Brick doesn't fight. Yeah, back. I don't I don't I don't speak Inuit, so what does that mean exactly? So a Kamatik is just it a means sled fight in Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> so Kamatik is a uh, sled that is dragged by a snowmobile which has zero suspension. <laughs> and even though it's ice, it's not smooth. <laughs> So when you are traveling in the back of of this comatic, you are just getting your ass kicked. You no longer have your hymen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there is another trick I figured out in the comatic because, like, if you sit on your ass, like, your spine is getting really, Rot. really smashed. So I started to ride in the comatic on my knees, on my hands, like, not charging my back so you go like in a in uh-huh. a in a dog position you go like <laughs> for 20 minutes but your back doesn't get fucked so right. did you guys have any questions on your mind that you wanted to ask because i was gonna who's say, going back i go back yeah we're talking about it i Absolutely, feel like maybe. i didn't accomplish what i hoped to accomplish and i didn't prepare mentally or physically like i should have and i i i feel like i need another shot how would Let you say something physically. like, Aaron, Aaron, so, I want to be back I'm in the igloo with you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The igloo was amazing. So I, I will say this. Um, one, it took me two weeks to want to go back because from the time that it was about time to leave to the t- almost not getting out, the, the, the weather was turning terrible and they weren't sure if the plane was even going to show up. And we were sitting there going... I just want to get the fuck out of here. I'm done. 13 days later, after letting it kind of process and go away, I was like, yeah, for sure. I could go back because I left, I left wingsuiting off Broad Peak for, for the next trip. Wingsuiting period. Period, yeah, because all I got to do was track, one, track twice and a prodigy dog shit flight. Um, but then the other thing is... Um, I think a lot of Baffin, like now that I know what to expect, it's so much easier. There is so much unknown and so much like slap in the face when you get there. Like the the six-hour comatic ride when you arrive, they're like, all right, you have 15 minutes. We're going to leave. Put all of your cold weather gear on. You're going to be in a comatic for the next five hours. And you start, you, you get in the back of this, what feels like a body bag. It's, it's a wooden box. The sled is built with a wooden box, and they put some mattresses down. And you sit in this wooden box, and you're like, oh, shit. And they're like, how long is the ride? Uh, about five hours. Six. Wait, what? Yeah. Five yeah. hours? Dude, at least you had a wooden box. I had a, a Aaron, balloon basket she sat that they wrapped in a hot in air like- balloon basket. Saran wrap to try and stop the wind from going through it. Man, that was. Cold. I'm just picturing like the kind of thing they pull behind a boat, you know, when you're on the lake and something like that. 
No. No. No, it literally because hot um, air balloon because, basket. Because the or, the organizer oh, was a okay. balloon, he does Sorry. balloon safaris. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so he knew how to set up a base camp for balloon safaris. The base gotcha. jumping was and a helicopter was was new for him, so there were some kinks to work out with that. But camp he knew and, and he was taking out the, his balloon and the basket and we rode in the basket. Yeah. So quick question about the helicopter. Like was it worth it to have a heli out there? Absolutely. Yeah. Simon having been the only one that hiked and helied. What do you have to say? Out of us three. Out of us three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I mean, in in total, I did 12 jumps, like three heli jumps, and then the rest we were hiking. But let's say if we talk about jumps of Broad Peak and Solar Sunspire, like Broad Peak going to take you two days of hiking. Yeah. And we used the elevator. So Apparently not. We talked to Jono, and he did it in one. Okay. So whatever. I mean, for, for some of the jumps, like Solar Sunspire and Broad Peak, Thanks to the heli. Yeah, for sure. And was the heli there to also do like rescue if you had like a medical issue? Like were they equipped to do that? Or was it just like a shuttle service? Usually for jumping, but then at the end, like um, at the day where some of the people left camp, like uh, Brian had some back issues. So we used the helicopter to bring some people back to Clyde River. So kind of B plan. We have a helicopter. Okay, we don't use it for jumping. We use it for bringing people back to Clyde River as quick as possible. Instead of a six-hour back-breaking ride on a back that's already, I can't stand up straight. But, but yeah, so I would definitely go back. And I would say the heli makes all the difference. The The hikes, I think if I go back again... I will know now like how to prepare, how to be mentally ready and be in the right mindset to go for hikes. I don't think we got the real answer to Ellen's question here. Like, how do you prepare for something like this? Man, I don't, I don't know that you can, like you can prepare. Like we talked about, like, Go jump in the wintertime in the high Alps with all but of your physically, gear. Physically, I mean, like hiking and cardio and like... Yeah, you're way better <laughs> shape than I am, so you'll be fine. I did some trainings. Like, I was aware that I'm going to bath in late April, beginning of May. So I started to do like a bit of gym and uh, kind of physical exercises from November on. So. And people were looking a bit strange to me while I was standing on the stepper with my stash bag and like <laughs> twice three kilos in my hands look, going for one and a half hour. They were like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Sweating so that's, but that's what helped me in Baffin Island. That's what Brian and I should have been doing. Right. And that's what I would do if I, would, if I were to go back. I would know that one, it's worth it to hike. Two, it's worth it to be prepared to hike. And three, like literally you better start preparing early. I mean, to have a, to have a simple reference, if you want to go to Baffin, um, check out like in summertime, in good conditions, to do two Igers a day with not getting really tired. That's a good reference. <laughs> Whoa. Two, two Igers a day, <laughs> boom, 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 and then land and they're like, okay, I could do maybe a third one. Then you're good for Baffin. Just for reference, so everybody knows how many meters of hiking is the Iger? I mean, it's not that much. It's about like 800. I've never. So I'm, I'm a self-admitted lazy base jumper, but when I do the Iger, that's a one and done kind of day. Like yeah. I, I'll, I'll do an Iger and then you might get me to go do like a high nose or something. 
So just for a metric, uh, I was following your social media feeds the other day, and uh, I think we had a really nice weather window last weekend. I did 3,400 meters of hiking, and you did something absurd as well. Uh, that's the kind of meters of hiking that you need to get done before you can feel ready to do something like that, right? Yeah, I think like to, to get an idea how much energy it would cost you like during summer, because it's way easier, whatever hike you do like in the range of two to three hours, you would need to be capable to do just another one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's two milk stools in a day, yep. Exactly. Holy fuck. <laughs> and to everybody's listening, uh, it just gets easier, right? You do a couple of really painful hikes at the beginning of the season, it just keeps getting easier. And the more you do, it just, just gets easier and easier. And the faster you're moving, the more base jumps you get to do. It's uh it feels really good. Yeah, and well like, you know, my, my first Iger was my hardest one. Everyone after that was easier because mentally you know how to prepare and you know how to like get ready for it. Yep. Yeah, and that's why I think Baffin will be that much better the next time. Because I know what to expect. The cold is not gonna slap me in the face as hard. It'll still be cold, but like yeah, knowing knowing how how to prepare will just be, you know, that much easier. So with regard to the jumping, um, was there anything that you wished you knew before you went that you know now? I mean, for me, it was just personal that I needed to slow down and give up the idea a jump a day going to make me happy. It's rather like if you get a jump in three days, you're fine. That's Baffin Island. Like, don't, don't see jumping every day. Like, if you, if you stay there for 15 days... And you do every second, third day a jump, you're fine. You have That's uh, an amazing, a successful that's an amazing uh, trip, trip to Baffin, yeah. yeah. Jean-Noël was there for 30 days and did one base jump. Like, yeah, but he was so doing good. some rat snowboarding yeah. and some other stuff. And he was on his own moving from one side to the other side with a 120-kilo sled, which is a total different game. Like yeah. we had Inuits and like people which were shuttling us around, so it's in a helicopter. That's that's the next next level thing. Baffin next level yeah, camp. It's a couple couple levels. He's beyond level. <laughs> Aaron Brian, do you have anything that that you know now that you wish you had known before? Hmm. It's a good question. Um well in addition to preparing better, um we talked about in the last episode my glove choice, which was poor. But definitely would change that. Um, no, I don't know. I think it's about doing it. It's it's left undone. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that there's anything like standing out other than the cold. That yeah, that's that's just it. It's a next level cold. Oh, maybe maybe one question to Simon. What um, did you change your slider or pilot ah. shoot setup to go to Baffin? Because there had uh, been yeah. like on our kind of trip thread before we all went, there was a suggestion to kind of go with a thirty-two inch pilot shoot and a um, slow slider. Uh, yeah, a small mesh slider because openings could be really hard um, because the the air is so dry and it's yes. high. There's more dense. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, denser air. Sorry, yeah. We, we need to um, think about, like, the last Baffin Island expedition was, like, 2010. 
So that's eight years. Okay. So if we look to the evolution of the gear, the equipment we have in the last eight years, it's, it's massive. It's a lot. Like 2010, nobody was flaring before deploying a canopy in a wingsuit, right? So these days, uh, I was taking really care about the advices from uh, JMO about maybe taking a slow slider, taking a smaller pilot chute, like a 32-inch or whatever. I did one jump on a 32. Uh, I used to base jump like many years ago in minus 20 back home in Switzerland in Lauterbrunnen, where you can feel that the air is more dense, is like heavier, so the opening can be quicker. But then at the end, with the massive flares, even in a one-piece track, track suit, I changed to 36, 38, like the wingsuits. I did in 38, and it was just okay. So I think like the evolution of our equipment is so much bigger comparing to eight years ago. So you would be fine in a normal setup. Yep. Yeah, because yeah, Aaron and I both really did not want to do any rigging once we got up there. Like I went up there with my regular setup, and while we waited around, I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not breaking all this stuff out. I'm not taking my risers off and putting a different slider on. I'm going to go try a 36 and my slider. And, you know, if I get a hard opening, okay, fine. That means I might be down for a day. But, you know, see how it goes. And it was totally fine. Went yeah. box man, pitched, and it was a just normal opening. I think one thing you can, if you decide to go to Baffin, one thing you should definitely try to dial in and figure out is like your packing, like that you that you can pack in, in high winds and really like having not really a nice pack job, but still like trusting your pack job, not getting like gear fear at the exit. So that what I was doing before, which ended up at the end just like in a proper, nice, neat Pro pack, which works fine these days, thanks to the evolution of the equipment. Mm. So, well, when you go to Baffin, you should be able to pack under twenty minutes. If you can pack under twenty minutes, you're going to be fine. You're not going to freeze that much. Even like when you land and you start packing, don't waste enough. Don't waste too much time. Like, okay, I'm going to pack now. Focus on your packing. Boom, boom, boom. Pack your thing. Eighteen minutes or fifteen minutes, and you're fine. Yeah, but one thing about packing. You have to wear your gloves, and you can wear your gloves for only so long because at some point you you can't really – you have to take them off to feel what you're doing, and as soon as you do, you take your gloves off, and that, that nylon that nylon just saps all the, the warmth out of your hands. It's like if you took a ice bucket and just stuck your hand in it. It's the same feeling. And that pain that you get when your hand is inside an ice bucket is while you're trying to like run your hand up and like get the 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 nose you know wrapped. It's doing the ice bucket challenge every time you pack. <laughs> it was yeah yeah it was it was god awful. So I Brian, hit, tell us about your pack job at the bottom of uh, was it Solar Sunspire or was it Broad? I, I packed at the bottom of Broad and the pack job was not very neat and tidy and what happened to your closing loop oh yeah so i went up i looked at my closing loop and said yeah this thing's ready to be changed i'll change it on the next one and so i jumped broad peak i packed down at the bottom 
and I'm looking at my closing loop and I'm like, this thing's ready to be changed. I'm going to change it when I get back to the, when I get back to camp. Yeah. Right. You're going to open your rig and change it when you get back to camp. Yeah. And so <laughs> as soon as I pulled on the, uh, closing loop or on the, uh, pull up cord, pulled more like yanked and pushed and to get that sucker closed. Well, see, I didn't have a problem. Like the, it wasn't that difficult to close. Like I didn't have a very, like when I packed in the tent, it was fine. And, but just literally as I'm pulling the closing loop with the pull up cord, it just popped. That's a leg slap. It's kind of why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is, there is one point, like, as I said, you need these tricks. Like before I went to Baffin, uh, back home in my living room, I, uh, did some training. I packed with gloves like probably six times just like to get to get used to pack with gloves you know right and before i went to baffin i changed all my closing loops i I thought about (laughs) doing that the other thing that somebody told me about which was really awesome is to uh get closing loops that are double-sided a loop on each side so if you bust yeah so if you bust a closing loop you flip it over and you're not fucked like i was because I think there was a, an opportunity for the heli to like come pick us up right at the bottom of Broad Peak and take us right back up, and I was like, "Oh, I missed out. I've got a fucked rig." So, I think the moral of this whole podcast is: if you want to go to Baffin, be like Simon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Don't be like Brian or Aaron. Be like Simon. So yeah, Simon, how Simon can our says, uh... train for Baffin? Yeah, I trained. How, how can Super our listeners hard. reach out to you and ask you a million questions? <laughs> I mean, these days it's pretty easy. Like, just send me a message on Messenger or whatever. I mean, I took the picture in Ottawa of my whole equipment. I can send you that picture. So on the picture you can see, okay, uh, down booties, like a one-piece down thing. I took two rigs, which you don't need, actually. Whenever you go to Baffin, if you train your pack jobs being under 20 minutes, one rig is fully okay. Yeah. And then, like, you know, the gloves, you can see everything on that picture. So that's why I, I, I took it and I posted it that people maybe who are going to go to Baffin, they know, like, okay, I need to take this and this and this. And then, yeah, just just give me a, a shout. Sweet. One last question for you guys. Um, we've all stood at the top of some pretty epic, you know, uh, cliffs and... Um, but what did it feel like in that environment with, I mean, nothing around except mountains and what did it feel like in that scenario standing up there? Um, to, to put it in a, in a relationship with some jumps that people may know, uh, jumping off the top of the Jungfrau, going up by train to, uh, to the station and then do a nice alpine hike for four, four and a half hours, and then jump off the top of the Jungfrau, comparing to Baffin Island, it's a walk in a park. <laughs> wow. And on that note... Yeah, I just... I just Shit ain't easy, the, yo. Right, but those pictures when you guys were at the top, and there's no civilization around, there's no nothing, it's just mountains and sun, and yeah, pretty stoked for you guys. Yeah, the pictures don't do it justice. None of the pictures really can give you the perspective that that place can do. Like, it's just mind-boggling. Because you can stare across the fjord and be like, oh, yeah, that 
yeah, we're, we'll, let's just get on the snowmobile and just go over to the bottom of uh, the beak. 30 minutes later, you're still heading towards it, and it's not really gotten bigger. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, to for for finishing that nice podcast, like um, a trip to Baffin Island, you go and you commit to base jump. But for me, it was a lifetime experience to go to Baffin Island. As I said, you have the cake and the jerry is the jumping. Uh, I still like appreciate things which I took for just a normal thing before, which just like running water, having a warm place, having food. You can select what you want to eat every day. I mean, in our civilization... Being able to text your best friend. Yeah, we live in, in paradise. Baffin Island is a paradise too, but just in a different way. You reduce to the essentials like get some water, drink, and food... And when you when you get back, it's like a self-cleaning lifetime experience going to Baffin Island. You come back, and for me, it changed me as a person. Like, I see so many things different. Like, if I go working, and people are like, oh, you know, we have this problem. I'm like, hmm. dude, but did you that's die? not a problem. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it's just like, you know, um, I stayed in Baffin Island three weeks without showering. So whenever I go for a three-day longer weekend, weekend. and I cannot shower, it's not a big deal, as Brian said. Like, okay, I mean, I survived three weeks without shower. No problem. Maybe I stink a bit, but that's it, you know. No problem. Awesome, guys. As you were saying that, Erin was chewing the dead skin off of her fingers (laughs) from the cold. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Lou. And and you you guys got back like a month ago. Yeah. So the, the... the point of that is we still have to talk about the cold. And you can and be yeah, so we got two more sections. What are yeah. we hitting, Brian? We're going to we're going to talk about the cold as its own podcast because the cold pretty much ran the show while we were in Baffin. And then the last bit is just camp life. Like base camp etiquette kind yep. of thing. Yeah. Camp etiquette, uh things to think about like, you know, you know when you're going to go somewhere where the weather will impact what you're doing you might want to have some other things to do while you're there yeah and but your actions will affect the actions of everybody else staying at that camp as well so there's you know yeah team, camp team life player stuff base life camp life is is a thing and we'll talk about that one on team, the next one dream one team one dream baffin I like that. All right. Well, thank you all for being on the on the podcast and taking the time to uh, share this information with our listeners on you know the adventure known as Baffin. Ellen, glad to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's like yeah. super Woo. interesting hearing all your stories. So yeah, for sure. Big props to you guys for getting through that. It sounded way harder than I was ever expecting. Yeah. Me too. Try to go there. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, it's on my list for sure. Two thousand nineteen. Okay. Okay. Done. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, this was cool. Base Life Podcast. Uh, we are out. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Cheers. All right, guys. Well, there's more where that came from. Uh, next week, we talk to Dr. Charlie Kerlinkis about the cold up in Baffin. All right. Uh, hit us up on social media and let us know what you think. Let us know how we can improve. And uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>